everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name is Mike. Hello, Mike. Hey, I um, I learned something when I was early on in my sales career. I was doing a lot of sales via phone, and they said, if you smile, people can hear your smile over the phone. Oh, you kind of sound a little deranged to me, but <laughs> that's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, maybe I am. Hi, my name's Mike. <laughs> Well, you don't have to show all those gums, jeepers. It's going to scare people. Thank well, they God. can't hear they can't see my smile on the other side. Oh, and just to mention, you've been riding me for a while to try to find a uh, Don't say that ever again oh. that I'm riding you. I think our listeners know it wasn't meant in that way because that is certainly not happening very very often. Not not often not not like too much is what I want to say. Okay. So, so what have I been riding you about? <laughs> Um, so you've been writing me about getting a video camera so we can get back on YouTube. Yes, Mike, we've I have. A, we've had a lot of requests too. So we're going to be doing that. I think we identified the camera and we should have it very soon. Yeah. And when Mike says very soon, he's not the quickest of people. So yeah, me, we could be looking at one week. We could be looking at two months. Give we, me four weeks. We just never know. Because why would it take four weeks to purchase a camera? It's just the right one, the right value. You know, we're, we're starting out here. Welcome so. to my life, people. Yeah. We so, move at a snail's pace. Yeah. Well, hey. You know, he can't, uh, it, it balances you out because you're a complete psychopath. I'm the rabbit to your turtle. Yes, right. And sometimes, you know, who, who won that, ra- that race? I can't remember. <laughs> the turtle. Yeah, it sure did. Okay, so let that be a lesson to your kids out there. Uh, thanks for listening to us. We really appreciate it. If you could, um, yeah, just go ahead and you know tell your friends and family. That'd be very wonderful about our little podcast here. We had something kind of exciting happen this week. Uh, TikTok blew up a little bit. Yeah, who like, knew? Yeah, yeah. It went from like 100 followers to 10,000 or so. No, I think it's 12,000 followers, a little over 12,000. But, you know, I am just, I'm not up to speed on all these little social media platforms, you know, because I'm an old lady and all. We're both 43. So TikTok is a foreign concept to me, other than the fact that our kids listen and, and post or whatever. So we were just trying it out as a thing. And Mike um, edited and published one of my videos. And the next morning, there was like, I don't know, 400,000 views. And then within less than a week, there was over a million. Which... Yeah. So hey, if you're a new listener from TikTok, thanks for giving us a shot. We yeah, appreciate thank it. Thank you so much because I'm trying my my best me too um, and you know it's one of those fluky things who knew yeah so if you're new here basically what we do we take turns you do about three quarters of the stories i'll do a quarter of them yeah and um go over any kind of interesting tri- crimes that happened unfortunately some of them are pretty sad but very um, sad yeah, yeah that's the nature of the beast exactly so, and so. Uh, we're going to be respectful to the the uh the victims and man do we hate the uh the killers i mean just like everybody else that's not so unique but uh hey what are we going to do what are we going to do? So are we ready to go? Anything else to share? Mm, oh, my vasectomy, is, I think, is healed. So everybody out there. Well, good, Mike. Thank you for all the kind words. We got a lot of direct messages. I um, don't think we did. Not one, but that's okay. Um, I'm doing okay, guys. Don't worry. Thank we you so much. We were all worried. So thank you for taking that off of our shoulders because <laughs> now we can actually relax. I'm back to working out. For everything full blown. Thank, full blown. Thank goodness. Yep. We were very concerned about that major surgery you had. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was off the shelf for, you know, two or three days. So. <laughs> Now we're good. So yeah, let's get started. All right. So grab your cup of coffee, sit back, relax, because here we go. So this is actually a survival story. This is a survival story of Crystal Searles. 
So on December 30th, 1999. So to stop you, a survival story. I don't yes. have we done that ever. Um, I don't know. Okay, interesting. You're, you're putting me on the spot here, so I'm trying to think. Uh, okay. No, no, it's okay. I'm just uh, it's interesting. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I mean, it doesn't all come up roses in the oh. story. There's definitely a sad part of it. Yeah. But um Crystal herself is the survivor of the story. So on December 30th, 1999, um, at a home in Del Rio, Texas, two girls were preparing to have a sleepover together. 13-year-old Kayleen Harris, who went by Katie, and 10-year-old Crystal Searles. Crystal and her 7-year-old sister, Mark, and it's an interesting name. It's actually spelled M-A-R-Q-E, but it's pronounced Mark. I wonder if that's something to do with Louisiana. Maybe they're in the far west or east of Texas. I don't even know where No, they Del were uh, just relocating to Texas. They were coming from Kansas. Oh. So the reason why Crystal and her seven-year-old sister were staying at the Harris home was that they were waiting for their family. And at the time of the story, when I say family, it was their mother. They were selling their home in Kansas and moving to Texas. So in the meantime, Crystal and Mark were staying at the Harris house while their mom finished up the last-minute business in Kansas and came over to Texas. So Crystal and her brother Mark. No, it's her sister. Sister, okay. I her thought you sister. said sister, and I was like, "What, Mark?" Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I think it's a French um, name, from what I looked at. Kind of like Margaret, you know, some something like that. I have no idea. Marque. So Crystal is ten, and her sister Mark is seven, and Katie, who is lives in the house, is thirteen. So Katie Harris was a beautiful girl who was well liked. She was very popular at school, and the Harris family included the oldest son Sean, then Justin, Lori, and then Katie. So that night, seven-year-old Mark desperately wanted to join the older girls in the sleepover, but older sister Crystal was not having it, as that tends to be with older and younger sisters. You know, a seven-year-old really looks up to her 10-year-old sister and her friends, and of course, Katie was 13, so it's like, whoa, a teenager. Yeah. So Mark was desperate to be able to join another fun, but Crystal was like, mm, no. Well, we're going to be talking about boys and stuff and, yeah, maybe makeup or whatever that they're getting into. Totally different world. It's than like, we don't want our seven-year-old sister to pull us down. She wants to play pretend. So Mark ended up sleeping in the bedroom directly across the hall from where Crystal and Katie slept. She said that she had fumed in her bed for two hours. That's what she said. <laughs> she was so mad. She was so angry that her sister wouldn't allow her to join in on the fun. So Crystal remembers that they went to bed late, as typically happens during a sleepover, and she said she woke up to something that sounded like a scream. It ended up being, Crystal didn't know this, but it was about 3.50 in the morning. So she said that she was sleeping on the top bunk and Katie was at the bottom. She popped her head up a little bit, but never fully set up. Of course, you're in your sleep. You don't really know what's happening. You're kind of trying to get your bearings. You don't know if it's from a dream. You don't know if it's real. You don't know if you know, your mind's playing tricks on you. Exactly. So she said that the lights in the room were on, which of course, it's strange because when you went to bed, the lights were out. She said to her horror, a scary man stood at the end of the bed. Holy cow. Can you like that's like the stuff nightmares are made of. It's the boogeyman come to life. It's what you wake up from in a nightmare. And you're exactly. like, oh, my God, thank God it's a dream. But this is real. Ugh. And Crystal described him as having a long, dark, scruffy hair and a big, long, scary, bushy beard that took over his whole face. And he had dark, mean eyes. Well, probably the scariest type of guy you can possibly think of. I mean, it, it would be the person you would imagine in your nightmares so crystal noticed that katie had blood on her and that the man held a knife in his hand she saw that the knife was across katie's throat and his hand was over katie's mouth 
Crystal watched in horror as the man cut Katie's throat and she fell to the ground. Just some random dude. I mean, I know you're going to tell me the story, hopefully. Yes, but I'm going to tell you the full story. Oh, my God. She's, she wakes up, watches her sister die. It's basically. not her sister. Oh, it's her friend. friend. Okay. Her, her sister sleeping across the hall. Got it. So Crystal said that the man hadn't noticed that she was also in the room sleeping on the top bunk. But as he was getting ready to walk out of the room, just about to turn the light off, he took one last look back and made eye contact with Crystal. Mm -hmm. Crystal quickly tried to scoot to the right side of the bed since the man stood to the left. She was trying to get away from him, but he simply reached over the side of the bed and cut her throat. Whoa. In one swoop move. Crystal remembers just laying there. The man turned the light off, left the room, and closed the door behind him. Crystal got down from the bunk, fell to her knees, and made her way to where Katie lay on the bedroom floor. She said that Katie was making gasping or choking noises, and Crystal was trying to comfort her friend. She laid next to her and rubbed her back, and when she tried to say, everything's going to be okay, she realized that she was unable to speak. She said that Katie stopped making the noises and she knew she had to go and get help. Crystal first headed straight across the hall to where Mark was sleeping. She was unable to wake her sister. Um, oftentimes, kids sleep very deeply and Crystal couldn't speak. So in her mind, which is reeling from what just happened, she assumes that her sister has also been murdered, as has the rest of the house. Sure. So her next instinct is to leave the house and try to fa- find help on the outside. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Um, and I know like our kids, the you know, young when they were really young. I mean, you, you can't wake up one of our kids without talking to them. Exactly. So and, like they need to hear a familiar voice to wake up. You know, and this happened in a house that was full of people. You know, the house, the Harris family had four children. And why would you assume that the killer wouldn't just go through every room? It's exactly what she throats. thought. As, as easily as he just walked up to her, reached over the bed and slit her throat, she assumed that happened in every bedroom of the house. Not to mention, maybe he's still in the house. Who exactly knows? what she thought. So when she left the house and got outside, it was still dark out. She was in her pajamas wearing no shoes. And she's what, 10 years old? She's 10. And that's unbelievably brave for this age. I mean, you're in a flight or fight response, and she's definitely, you know, the, the adrenaline's pumping here. And she's trying to find something, some way to get some help. While I did the research on this story, I actually cried a couple of times just at the sheer bravery of this girl. She just failed to amaze me. Yeah, you didn't uh, give any trigger warnings. This is pretty intense so it, far. It is pretty intense, but I'm the whole trigger warning thing to me, we're, it's a true crime podcast. Yeah. You don't come here to talk about kittens and rainbows. That's true. So that's kind of my philosophy there. Um, so when she got outside, it was dark out. Like I said, she had no shoes on. She's in her pajamas. She sees a light in the distance and decides to start heading in that direction. From what I could understand, this house wasn't in a neighborhood where your neighbor was 10 steps away. So she made it to the road and walked slowly the quarter of a mile towards the light, thinking over and over, kind of like a mantra in her head, get to this house, just get to this house. As she approached the house, she started banging on the door, and a man on the other side of the door is asking, who, who is it? Who is it? But she can't speak. So she continues oh. to just pound on the door, and eventually the man opens the door. 
So when the man opened the door, she communicated by writing on a pad of paper, and they actually showed the pieces of paper with her writing, and it was just streaked with blood. That's what I'm going to say. I mean, this she has to be like holding her throat. To, to not be able to speak, vocal cords had to be cut yes. or something. Yeah, the her airway. vocal cords, her trachea and her vocal cords were involved. Oh. So she communicates on the sheet of paper, the Harrises are hurt, tell them to hurry. My neck needs help. And the thing that really sprung tears to my eyes is she wrote, will I live? Oh, God, oh, the poor baby. Poor baby was so scared. What a badass, man, just to be able to write that all out with, like, while you're actively dying, pretty much. And to see her actual writing on the sheet of paper and the drops of blood on it, just, it was really heart-wrenching. Because you want to protect kids, no matter who they are, whether they're yours or somebody else's, like, that's just so horrible. You think of a 10-year-old, just like, will I live? And, and I we no actually, while I was doing this research, my 10-year-old daughter was sitting next to me on the couch. She didn't know about the story that I was researching, but I'm looking over at her just thinking, I can't believe this little girl was this age. It's just unbelievable what she lived through. Yeah. So the Texas Rangers received the phone call at 5.30 a.m. on December 31st, 1999. When they entered the Harris home and made their way to the room where Katie and Crystal had slept... They found an extremely bloody scene, and sadly, Katie did not survive. I figured that much. So Mark remembers waking up and seeing the sun coming through the window in her room. She said she sat up and noticed a woman in the room that she didn't recognize. The woman was standing there and handed her a pair of shorts and a purple tank top and told Mark, we have to go. So Mark has no idea what's happening. She said as she left the bedroom, she noticed that there was a stream of blood about five steps away from her own bedroom door. Blood streaked the walls, and it appeared that someone had stumbled down the hall, holding on to things as they went. Mark recalls seeing the blood outside as well, trailing down the front steps and into the street. Because of the blood, obviously she knew that someone was hurt and something bad had happened. She said she also remembers that everyone was crying and frantic, and she was desperate to know what was going on. Yeah, curiosity, yeah, overload. I mean, somebody give her an idea. You know, somebody was hurt. You can be like, yeah, somebody was hurt. We'll tell you more. Um, you know, and you're not suspecting some random weirdo with a huge beard came in and slit the throat of your sister and her friend. And, you know, you hit, figure maybe somebody hit their head, you know, or something like that or fell. Yeah. And, you know, she's only seven years old. Right. So, obviously, Mark eventually did find out what happened. She said, had things gone as she had hoped that night and that the girls did include her in the sleepover, she says there's no way she would have made it. No way. She'd be one of them. Yep. I can't believe the guy didn't bust into her room. Like, I I can't wait to hear more about Mm -hmm. the thought process behind this son of a bitch. And you will. So, like Crystal was so brave and survived this somehow, some way, and ended up walking a quarter mile up the street in a neighborhood she doesn't know, holding her throat and not knowing what was going to happen, Mark doesn't think she could have ever done such a brave thing. If you told me this, I would say this was impossible, that Mm -hmm. a 10-year-old would not be capable of all this stuff. Well, she was. I mean, Crystal, unbelievable. I don't know if I'd be possible to do all this stuff. Like I'm a grown woman, and I don't think I would have been so brave. Right. So Mark is convinced that had she slept in that room, she wouldn't be here today to tell the story. So in the meantime, Pam Searles, who's uh, Crystal and Mark's mother, is getting a call at around 6 a.m. in her Kansas home that she's preparing to move from. 
She said it was the Valverde ER and they told her that Crystal had been attacked and they needed her permission to have her life flighted to San Antonio. Jesus Christ. This is something you're waking up to. Yeah. She said at the time, all she knew that Crystal's throat had been cut and she needed to get the medical attention. So, of course, she gave permission to have her daughter life flighted. And remind me why she wasn't with who, who were they staying with? They're friends, the okay, Harris family. Okay, they were staying with Katie's family. Got it, okay. They were friends somehow. They were moving to that area. Pam was finishing up her last minute moving bits and, and coming to join her, her kids. Got it. So when Pam arrived to the hospital, she saw her baby girl surrounded by tubes and a machine was breathing for her. Uh, that scene enough for as a parent is just the worst. I mean, you can't imagine a worse situation because all you want is the best for your kid. What we tell our kids all the time, we don't want, like if we punish them, we don't want you to be sad, but we have to do this because we have to teach you the right ways of life. You know, we would love for you to be happy 24 hours a day doing the things you love. Like you want them just to be happy without pain and to walk into a hospital room and all these tubes and know that your daughter's like throat had been cut open, like unbelievable. So from what I could see in the image was that she had a tracheostomy placed. So it wasn't that the tube was going into her mouth, it was going into her throat. So she was still awake and able to, you know, see and know what's going on. They didn't have her sedated from what I could see in the picture. I saw her mom hugging her in her bed. Thank you for explaining that, by the way. Um, Working in a hospital, you have a lot of knowledge of these things. And a lot of times you will assume that I just know what these things are. Right. I do take for granted. Um, so I cover the ICU in my hospital. I'm a dietitian. I cover the nutrition aspect of things, but I work with the ICU doctor and the respiratory therapist and on and on. And oftentimes when somebody's initially on a ventilator, it's orally intubated. It's through their mouth because the goal is to get them off the ventilator. And then if they can't come off the ventilator, then about a week to 10 days later, they do the tracheostomy. However, because of the nature of how Crystal was slashed in the throat and they cut her trachea and her vocal cords, they just automatically did the tracheostomy at the time. Probably used the same hole or whatever. Exactly. They probably did. Gosh, that's so scary. So, um, you know, her mom's walking into this room and her teeny tiny little your daughter is like in this hospital bed like the last thing you want to see and she said that pam said that crystal only wanted to know at that moment was katie okay she said she just couldn't bring herself at that moment to break the devastating news that katie hadn't made it because you're trying to protect your child who went through this horrifically traumatic event that like we said is the thing that our nightmares are made of and she lived through it so when obviously Crystal eventually found out that her friend had passed away. So Crystal later told reporters at a press conference that Katie helped her through that night. She said her soul came up and stayed with me. When Crystal was out of surgery, she was ready to talk and tell police what she knew. A forensic artist stationed in Midland, Texas, was contacted and flown to San Antonio and brought to University Hospital to work with Crystal. Crystal said that she could not get the picture of this man out of her head, which actually helped with her communicating the description to this artist. She said she was amazed at how well the artist was able to sketch what she described. And eventually, police brought Crystal a photo lineup, and they watched her as her eyes scanned the photo and focused in on one person pictured. She took her right index finger and placed it directly onto the image of Tommy Lynn Sells. Wow. This all happened very quickly. 
and it happened while Crystal was still in the hospital. Jeez. So at that point, Tommy Lynn Sells became the number one suspect, obviously. From there, the investigators headed back towards Del Rio, which was a two and a half hour drive from the hospital in San Antonio. They arrived at Sell's home at 5.30 a.m. and knocked on the door. They said it was unlocked, so they opened the door and found Sell standing near the doorway. He simply said, I'm, fi- I'm glad I finally got caught. I was tired of doing this. It doesn't surprise me whatsoever because there's got to be part of some of these psychopaths where they're just doing it until they get caught and they know they will. You know, they wouldn't keep doing it. It, it. The illegality is not what's stopping them from doing this. Not at all. It's just this thing inside of them that makes them continue to go on and do this. Yeah, they have some kind of urge, yeah, usually sexually related to something. It was kind of eerie because I was watching some um, documentaries and then the YouTube video ended and it went into this interview with Jeffrey Dahmer. It just like kind of continued to play. So I was typing. So I'm listening to Jeffrey Dahmer and they said like, could you have ever stopped yourself from continuing to do what you were doing? And he said, no, I couldn't have. It's an addiction like anything else. I mean, there's worse addictions than others, like being a serial killer, for instance. Or an alcoholic or, or you reading. know, whatever. It's something that is giving your brain dopamine shots and you just get more. And then you want to go for the next level that is only going to give you more of a rush and more of a rush. Then it's not enough. It's ugh, sickening. So the murder weapon was an 11 inch butcher knife and the blade was extremely thin, having been sharpened so many times. The investigator said it was very eerie to see because you could tell how many times he had sharpened that blade down. Well, just thinking about slicing throats and what what a Mm -hmm. scumbag. So in that's why it was so easy too. he could just reach over to crystal over the top bunk and just be like, okay, like nothing. Yeah. So it had been discarded in the brush behind his house, exactly where he told police he had put it. The police called Pam where she sat with her recovering daughter and let her know that they had made an arrest. The first time crystal caught sight of her neck injury was while she was walking down the hallway with her IV pole in tow. Oh God, I wouldn't even want to look at it. It would take me a few days to be able to want to look at it. Mm -hmm. And she hadn't to that point. So innocently she's bending down to take a sip from the drinking fountain and she caught reflection of herself in the shiny surface. So she doesn't have the tube anymore or she can use both Um, a sip from the drinking fountain. Yeah, there's, you can uh, cap a tracheostomy. Oh, So some people have it and they only need to be put on it at night. Oh, not to mention that goes into her lungs. So, okay, the drinking water would go into her stomach. It's two separate tubes. Got it. Yes. So oftentimes we have people who have tracheostomies and they still eat. Okay. And they can still talk too. They have speaking valves. Oh, like for lung cancer and such. Yes. Okay. So at this time she actively has a tube coming out, but um, when she heals and gets better, that gets removed. So um, she caught sight of herself and then she wanted to look more closely. So Pam brought her a mirror and Crystal said she remembers crying for a little bit, but she knew it would get better. Oh, what a strong. Oh, this girl. I'm telling you, this girl is flipping amazing. I mean, I was had goosebumps while listening to the story. This was 23 years ago. She's she's Mm -hmm. about 33. Yes, she is. 32, 33. So everyone tried to remind Crystal that she was the one that helped catch the vicious killer who could still be out there and likely would be out there doing exactly what he did to her and Katie. So Crystal remembers feeling that she wasn't brave, just lucky. But girl, you were brave. Hell yeah. And Sells was cooperative, the murderer, Tommy well, brave, Lynn Sells. Brave and lucky. Both. Yes, both. That's but, okay. 
I mean, her bravery got her where she was at that moment. Well, and I'm sure she feels guilty, too. There's natural guilt where it's like, why me? Why, well, why not my friend? Survivor's guilt. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, this is a 10-year-old having to deal, in, deal with these, like, crazy emotions and situation that nobody's equipped to deal with. A lifetime of mental trauma. Exactly. So, Sells was cooperative when he was brought to the Valverde County Sheriff's Office. Oh, what a nice guy. What a good guy. He gave his confession and walked the police through the crime scene. A window had been left open the night of the attack, and Sells was able to easily enter the home. He did notice Mark sleeping by herself in one room, and across the hall, he chose the room where Katie and Crystal slept. Of course, as he entered the room, he had no idea Crystal was there. Why he did he choose that room? He only focused in on Katie, and you will find out. Okay. So he approached the bottom bunk as Katie slept. He cut her bra and underwear off anything that she was wearing. He said he stabbed her and she jumped back and that's when he slit her throat. He described seeing Crystal on the top bunk and demonstrated how he slashed her neck. Police believe that the motive was sexual assault, but eventually found out that Sells was associated and kind of friends slash acquaintances with the Harris family. How so? So he specifically went into that house targeting Katie. So I'll I'll tell you more about that. But Sells had made a comment that he actually had considered killing all six people that were in the trailer. He didn't know, obviously, that two people who don't belong in the family are there. He doesn't know Mark is there. He doesn't know Crystal is there. He's assuming he's walking into just the Harris family being in the trailer. Of course. So he had considered killing the whole Harris family, but just being the nice guy that he was, he just left it to one casualty that night. Interesting that he didn't choose the whole family. Yeah, I, got, I, I guess he just chose Katie for sexual reasons. Okay. So apparently the Harris family had met Sells through Grace Community Church and allegedly struck up a friendship. They regularly attended church and allegedly met him multiple times, and he had even come to the home at least once before, so he knew the layout of the house and how to slip in without disturbing the rest of the family as he made his attack on Katie. And if I could, for one second, we're not churchgoers anymore, um, and I'm not going to say anything. Don't worry. I see your face. Uh, the, the thing with church, it's a great place to help a lot of people. It's a great community. You have a lot of like-minded people that want to help people and all that. Also, the church that we went to, it attracts a lot of people that need to like improve their life because, you know, they're giving up their life to God saying, I'm going to start new and I'm going to be fresh. And it's, it's a lot of things where people go to it instead of being addicted to some of the things they were in the past, like drugs and, you know, doing out, you know, doing bad things and being in jail. They say, I'm going to give my life to God Mm -hmm. in most situations, which is understandable. hundred percent. If you're going to be addicted to something, God is a good thing to be addicted to. Right. So go ahead and do that but the, a lot of people i mean not a lot very very small percentage obviously they, a very small percentage yeah like this guy for instance he's still a bad guy you know that you can't change your mental state sometimes and he's definitely mentally disturbed yeah you know? sometimes and, they hide under the blanket of and, religion and these harrises probably identified a guy that needed some help and sure. needed to you know get back in his bootstraps whatever the hell you want to call it and maybe offered some help and wh- I, I don't know the whole story but unfortunately this situation you led to something so you just got to be careful who knew yeah. you know who knew that this guy was a monster what do they say a wolf in sheep's clothing Right. Just out and about going to church. 
obviously the Harris family, they befriended him. Right. So he socially was able to put on a, a good front a good front there. And now all of a sudden it's like this is God's will. It's like, yeah, bullshit. It's not. So So Pam said that the Texas Rangers suggested that she go through the crime scene to see with her own eyes what had happened to her daughter. They felt that this could hopefully allow Pam to better help Crystal through her own recovery. So as Pam walked through the house, she felt her legs were going to just give out on her. Her daughter's blood still streaked throughout the house as she made her way out the front door to the path that her daughter had taken that night. So as police made the drive with Sells to the jail, he was quiet. And eventually he said, I guess you want to know about the other murders. They took Sells to an interrogation room and listened as he spoke for hours, going from state to state, talking about all the men, women and children that he had killed. I just assumed that he had others. I don't know why. I mean, I know why, but it's just that's. I was waiting for you to just say about the other murders. Well, I, I already I, assumed, even though you didn't say it, did you? No, I did not say it, but I gave a couple of clues. Just the fact how he easily did what he did, how he easily made eye contact with Crystal, walked up to her like nothing and just slit her throat. And the thing that got me was when I heard the detectives say how eerie it was to see that blade that was so sharpened and sharpened again that it had thinned down. Yeah. So that tells me that was his weapon of choice. Yeah. He usually premeditated. And yes. This is something he uses a lot. So, um, of course, they're now realizing that he, there's a lot more victims involved here. So Sells made the comment, my daddy told me a long time ago, dead men tell no tales. I remember that to this day. Good, good. That's good. That's good information to remember, you piece of shit. Over the next nine months working with Sells, the police confirmed that he was responsible for 22 murders. Oh, my God. 22. Yeah, his, his daddy also, like, listens to Jack Sparrow. Yes, Pirates exactly. Pirates of the Caribbean. But That's, I don't <laughs> think that movie had been out at that point. <laughs> I don't think so. But, yeah. Man. Um, so, Crystal was relieved to leave Texas and head back to Kansas, but she would eventually have to go back to testify nine months later. She said that she felt fine to know that she would eventually see him again, knowing that he couldn't get her this time. She liked having the power over him this time. She was brave and faced her killer, doing it for Katie and knowing that she deserved it. The day of the trial, she woke up and said to herself, I can do this. I can do this. Kind of like the night that she focused on the house in the distance. Yeah, no surprise. She's a different breed. Way stronger than any 10-year-old like can ever, you could ever imagine. Whatever it is, just very strong person. So she asked her mom, please don't cry during my testimony. She knew that it would distract her and upset her and kind of like shake the foundation she was going on. So she was given the option to walk past cells or go through a door that led her straight to the stand. Which option do you think she chose? Walk past cells. You got it. Staring at his ass. She said, I want to walk by him. I'm not scared of him. So Crystal had I would, to... I would, just real quick, I would also probably mutter something. Be like, you didn't get me a hole or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, just to kind of rub it in his face. Um, the day of the trial, or I'm sorry, Crystal had to directly point at cells during the trial to show who it was that she was referring to with her the story she was telling. And she said that he wouldn't look up at her. Big surprise there, piece of shit. And he just sat in his chair shaking his leg. And coward. 
At one point, she did become overwhelmed and couldn't answer any more questions. Pam managed to keep her word and not cry. It wasn't easy for her, though. Can you imagine your 11-year-old at this point on the stand reliving the horrors of this night and breaking down? And she had to like hold herself together with all of her might to keep strong for her daughter. Well, honestly, I tried to picture you, and I think you if I picture you in this situation, you'd be like, I can't, I can't promise you. And I'd be like, you have to, like, you can do it. You can get your mind somewhere else. If if somebody asks you, you can do it. It's just a matter of if you're willing to. And she did, she did it for her daughter. Yeah. So they took a quick 15 minute break so that Katie or Crystal, I'm sorry, Crystal could could compose herself. Easy for me to say. So Crystal said that she wiped her tears and she went right back out there and did it. She had to show her scar to the jury and show them how she had popped her head up from the top bunk bed. She actually had to lay on a table and demonstrate what she had done that night. Talk about traumatic. Reliving. Directly reliving in front of the person who did this to you. Like, why are we having this trial? The guy said he did it. Like, it's just kind of useless, isn't it? I don't know. I guess it's the standard. I guess just to seal the deal. Yeah. So when Sells approached Crystal that night, she said she had held her hands up to protect her neck. When they asked her why she had done that, she said, because I saw what he did to Katie and I was scared he was going to do it to me. Smart. So the defense attorney could only say, you're a brave young woman. Thank you. No more questions. So thankfully, there was no cross-examination. And this actually made Crystal happy, knowing that even the person who was there to defend cells was on her side. It's uh, not very often that that happens. I mean, you'd have to be a real monster I to mean, cross-examine a, an 11-year-old victim. That just showed you the scar on her neck from this scumbag you're sitting mm-hmm. next to. Unbelievable. Yep. So she said that the moment it was over and she stepped off the stand, she felt so good, like all the pressure was off her shoulders and she had gotten through it. So and after an hour and 10 minutes of deliberation, the jury came back. An hour and 10 minutes? It wasn't five? No, I don't understand. What the hell were they doing? What were you talking about? Probably waiting for a free lunch. If it was me, I'd be like, okay, if we can push this just 20 minutes, we'd get a free lunch from Panera. It's (laughs) 11.45. I heard that lunch is at noon. Let's assume they're going to bring us a nice hot lunch, and then we'll go ahead and, you know, everybody knows what we're going to choose. We're not idiots here, right? We all agreed. Guilty, guilty. Yeah, yeah, we're guilty. We're guilty. Let's get a free lunch, and then we go. Yeah, that's probably what happened. So they found Tommy Lynn Sells guilty and convicted him of capital murder. Then the state went into phase two to try to get the death penalty. Now, real quick, um, another interruption. Did he plead not guilty? Uh, no, I don't think he did. Did he plead guilty? I'm I'm not entirely sure. I mean, he admitted he walked them through the crime scene. He admitted to what he did. They didn't really talk in the articles that I read through. Like, obviously, the man's a psychopath and he's got major mental problems. But he was sane. He knew exactly what he was doing. He targeted specifically Katie. Yeah. He went directly to her room. He admitted that. Gotcha. Sorry to cut you off. So... Um, they had to start phase two to try to get the death penalty. So the jury went again and deliberated for a few hours and cells was sentenced to death. So t- I mean, thir- 22 murders or 23, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, this is pretty much open and shut death penalty case. I, you know, depending, it's all about the state, whether it allows it or not. Yeah, exactly. I can't see any state that allows it not choosing death penalty for this guy. And he's probably honestly, yeah, relieved to probably get the death penalty. Possibly, but he had no remorse. And I'll 
kind of mention that in here, but Tommy had likely gotten away with so many murders before getting caught because he was a drifter. He moved from one location to the next, often traveling with a carnival. So he was never really associated with an area. So he wasn't very pin downable, if that's a word. So he was able to roam trackable. from town to town trackable. Exactly. So he said he found a rush of ending lives too exciting to give it up. And he admitted that he had absolutely no regrets. And I actually saw him sitting and, and saying these words. He said the rush of watching a gaping neck wound and knowing that he did that and he ended this life. He had he didn't care. He didn't care at all. And at one thing I read, he had called Crystal the one who got away. Right. And that's the good thing. It's like, I'd love to be like, hey, you effed up, mother effer, as mm-hmm. I'm walking by him. Be like, you missed, missed a hole. You know, you, you'd be worried about him getting out and eventually coming back, obviously. Right. And she's a child, you sure. know. Oh, no. She's, don't believe me, nothing Crystal, <laughs> Crystal did way more than any human could, most humans could be, you know, aware of doing. But, uh, in, you know, emotionally, speaking as a rational person you can't believe that he had no remorse but to be able to do that and to begin with you have to if not you have a saw him saying it like he had no remorse none I, zero I, zip i would i would assume that i mean going through i mean maybe he'd have remorse the first one or two and then he gets past it and he's like well this is my calling i'm gonna kill people and i get a big rush out of seeing somebody dying it's i mean it's kind of like hunt. Now I don't want to say hunters are the same, but they. Well, no, of course they're not. It's, no, it's night and day difference. It's apples to oranges. Hunters don't want to kill animals. You know, they maybe very few, but yeah, it's like they they respect the animals. Right. You know, and when you kill something, there's that rush. Like, oh my god, I just killed something, and it's like it's a it's a, a rush in a little bit. It's adrenaline. It's like, oh man, you just took somebody's life. You know, and as he kills more people, he has to get like more and more. It's it's another addiction. It's, he was doing it since he was a teenager they said wow. around 14 15 years old was when he had his first murder did they say it was from carnival people like did he follow people home you get he had that? no discrimination with his victims truly no discrimination there was men there was women there was children he oftentimes slipped in and not at night just as he did in this situation so i i didn't want to because there's so many victims i'm focusing s- specifically on this one now i will tell you that he comes back around for our patreon members and our next bonus episode next week Ooh. he will come back up little teaser that's actually how i found this story i was researching another one for our bonus episode okay so he claimed to have killed over 70 people he's one of these idiots who wants to take credit for more murders than he actually committed Um, But that's how I found his name. But on April 3rd, 2014, Sells had no last words as he was given his lethal injection and died 13 minutes later. Um, Crystal, I guess, was there at the um, execution, as was her mom and Katie's mom, from what I understand. Poor Katie. My poor kid. (sighs) And all the other victims, obviously, too. Terrible. But so Crystal had a hard time with this part of it. You know, she's a, a good person. She does. She's not the type of person that wants something f- bad from somebody for somebody else. Well, she was what twenty five, twenty four at this uh... in two thousand fourteen. It yeah. would have been what fifteen years later. So she's twenty about twenty five. Yeah, at this thing. So she's an adult at that point. But you're torn. You know, you don't want this monster to ever be free to do what he did again. But at the same time, do you want to be? be be the person that wants to take somebody's life away. So she she had a hard time with that. That's the downside of the death penalty. You know, we can talk all day about this son of a bitch deserves to die, mm-hmm. but you're also being as bad as they are. 
Well, that's kind of where she was yeah. in, in a turmoil type like, of situation. Who are we to decide somebody's life should end? Yeah, I have a hard time with that. I put them in jail for the rest of their life, no doubt about it. But deciding death is a big thing. It's a big thing. I see both ways. I mean, this is kind of one of those cases where if anyone was going to be okay for the death penalty, this guy would fit the bill. Well, he's a complete drain on society because he's actively a killer. If you let him out again, he's going to kill Straight someone. Straight back to it. Guaranteed. God forbid he gets out. Right. Unless he gets you know lobotomized or something. Which, right. <laughs> and then he'd be like a vegetable. But um, there's a little bit more to the story just to give us a better picture of how and why crystal is as strong as she is so it turned out that crystal had been a survivor and a fighter for her entire life not just during and after the attack five years earlier her parents pam and mark got caught up in the roller coaster life of drug addiction they were getting into some trouble with the law and worst of all they were fighting terribly in the family home Eventually, Pam got tired of the drugs and what comes with that lifestyle, so she got herself clean and filed for divorce. Mark said that between ages of six and seven for Crystal, she basically had to step up and be the mom of the house, taking care of everyone, maturing more than she should have. So to be clear, her dad's name's Mark also. Yes. In addition to her sister, M-A-R-Q-U-E and probably M-A-R-K or C. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So... Yeah, I mean, she was thrown into this whole thing because as addicted drug people, you don't pay attention to your kids. You're thinking, where can I get my drugs? You're focused on the drugs. What kind of drugs? Probably pills and meth, I would guess. Didn't say. So Crystal said that her dad would sleep for days at a time and she was only in second grade at the time, but she stepped up to take care of her younger siblings, changing diapers, feeding them, putting them and then herself to bed. Then she had to wake up early to get herself ready to go to school. She said she was late to school basically every day and was a stinky kid in class. There's a kid that lives in our neighborhood that is exactly the same because Mm -hmm. her mom is very similar. Yes, she's addicted to meth. So Crystal said her clothes were never matching. She walked to school and no one ever saw her parents or siblings. And she said, I was just the random girl at school. So Mark remembers this was away before the attack as well. She said her sister was always taking care of her, always there as the backbone of the entire family. Amber, Crystal's other sister, said that Crystal cooked, she cleaned, she cared for everyone else before caring for herself. Keep in mind, this is a six-year-old that we're talking about here. It's amazing how, you know, the brain can evolve to just be like, you know, change, change a person entirely. A six-year-old kid is acting like a 25-year-old, you know, 20-year-old. There's some 20-year-olds that don't do half this stuff. You know, there's parents that are listening to this right now being like, my my 20-year-old, whatever, just came back from college and doesn't even know how to do laundry. You know, that your kids will be able to do whatever you make them do. Right. And we didn't have our first child until we were 29 years old. So even when we were 25 years old, we weren't cooking and cleaning and changing diapers and getting up at night to help with the, the kids. This is a second grader. Unbelievable. So Crystal remembers that when her mom got clean, she decided to take the girls and move away from their dad. Mark admits that he couldn't quit dealing or using. And this hurt Crystal, the fact that her dad was choosing drugs over his family. Mark ended up getting caught and going to prison. At the time of the attack, Mark was in Ada County Jail in Boise, Idaho. He remembers his mom and sister coming to see him at the time that it wasn't visiting hours. Mark feels that had he not been locked up at the time, he would have killed that son of a bitch. I don't really care what he says. Well, I mean, he ends up getting clean, but... 
Crystal said that after the attack and trial, she, her mom, and sisters all slept in the same bed for the next couple of years. While everyone slept, Crystal would still be awake at 5 a.m., laying there with her eyes wide open. She always had a game plan in mind if needed. If someone comes into this window, I'm going out that window. She would check her family throughout the night, reassuring herself that they were still alive and breathing. I can't even imagine. So by this point, Mark, who's Crystal's dad, had been in jail for three years. He said that what happened to Crystal was an absolute slap in the face and a wake-up call for him. Well, what they say is you need to hit a rock bottom at some point, and this is his wake-up, like he said. Okay, enough of this shit, man. This is your choice. You're, you know, the demon of of drug addiction is in you, and you got to know that, and you got to just be able to fight against it somehow. It's a lot easier said than done. Thank God, I have no idea. Well, and that's just the thing. We can't wrap our heads around what the, like, clutches of drug addiction are. So he said that their relationship has gradually strengthened as Mark built his trust back. Mark feels that the thing that Crystal struggles with the most is that even if Sells was found guilty, even if he had been sentenced to death, Katie is still gone and nothing is ever going to change that. Right. So this is another crazy spin. Like as if Crystal hadn't gone through enough in 2016, 17 years after the attack, a stranger named Alvin Willie George began sending crystal images of the bloody crime scene and sending threats to her and her family, saying that he was going to rape and kill them. What the fuck is wrong with people? Right? So he ended up getting sentenced to four years in prison for cyber stalking. Really? That seems like a long time because he did like literally nothing physically wrong. You no, know, like, but threatening a victim. Oh, of course. But yeah, you know, and he deserves it. But I, wouldn't you expect somebody like that to get like nothing like right. three months and in I'm, jail? I'm glad that he was given a four year sentence. For sure. Because clearly there's something majorly wrong with this person. Yeah. So Crystal said that she never thinks about Tommy Lynn Sells. She refuses to give him the time of day. As she spoke, she cried. She explained, it makes me really thankful. That's what he did. He didn't ever bring me down at all. These are happy tears, and I am just glad to be here. Does she have a book or anything? From what I could see, no. So she's about 33 years old. I saw a picture of her and her dad. He looks awesome. He he clearly got clean from drugs. And you can't change the past. You can't. You know, all he and I'm sure he's very sorry for his past and he should be. But now you got the future. So, you know, go on that and just change what you can in the future. I mean, can you imagine what a desperate feeling that must have been to be told that while you're in jail because of your drugs, that your daughter was viciously attacked and you couldn't even be there to support her? I mean, like you said, that's rock bottom. And that was the kick in the teeth he needed to say, I need to get my shit together. Yeah. um, You know, no, I can't imagine that. And I never will because I'm not going to be in jail for it. I can't imagine having that kind of an addiction. She needs to write a book because of her strength and her ability and i mean it's it's tough if she doesn't want to revisit it she doesn't have to but you you know what not even revisiting the thing maybe give a link or something and i i would read her book she seems like an incredible person like i'd love to hear how she thinks and how she's able to not think about this cell piece of shit how do you not like I don't know. Just I'd love to hear her thought process. I What is she doing now? Do you have any idea? I honestly, there's not much out there. And I think this whole thing that happened with the cyber stalker is going to make you not want to make yourself visible and be vulnerable to potential other people that could threaten your family. Yeah. It's like, I've been through enough. I don't need this. So perhaps that kind of set her back from wanting to be visible in the public i don't know yeah of course i i can't tell what she's up to at this point in time but Hmm. well that's crazy story thank god they got the guy and she 
it just amazed me yeah. throughout the whole story and my research. I was flabbergasted by the strength of this child. Yeah. And I'm sure she's an amazing adult. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear more about it. So, yeah. Well, all right. Well, hey, thank you so much for reaching into that. And uh, thank you to all of our patrons. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to Apple Podcasts. You don't have to be a patron. You know, that costs money. Uh, if you want to, go ahead. But if you if you don't want to get to be a patron and you enjoyed this, go to Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. Leave a couple words saying, hey, great job, guys. Whatever you want to say. Uh, we, it would help us out quite a bit and really help us reach more people. I want to say thank you to our patrons who are spending their hard-earned money and getting bonus episodes every other week. Um, it is Colleen, Lily, Karen, Nadine, Allie, Michael, great name, Michael, Kelly, and Dominic. Actually, you all have great names, and you're all very, very attractive, not just physically, but also emotionally. That's right. Yeah. Good peeps. Yes. And we appreciate you guys being here, and we'll be back again next week. And thank you for joining us. Bye. Until next oh, time. Until, wait, uh, until next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye.